Even when I would see maybe that other, you know, woman of color, whether she was Latina or black, they still followed their archetype, the corporate archetype. Like they would, you know, they were, they were one of them. So I'm yeah. like, I could talk to this person, to this other more senior woman of color. And I did a lot of times I would, you know, we would go out to lunch and we would talk. And the response that I would get was, you know, this is just the game. You gotta learn how to play the game. In other words, conform. And while I understood that, there was also a part of me that was like, but I don't want to play the silly game. Like, I don't want to conform. I don't want to. There was this constant tension in me of like, I don't, why do I have to conform? Why do I have to play by their rules? Why can't I play by my own rules? Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo, what's good? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Duetas podcast brought to you by Plural. As a reminder, on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a new guest join us for a very candid conversation around their experience between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Lexi Perez. Before getting into the full conversation, which you're not going to want to miss, let me give you a quick little bio on Lexi so that you have more context going into the conversation. So Lexi actually started out her career as a content creator, specializing in social and digital, and these days lives in the worlds of brand strategy and research. She brings over 12 plus years of marketing and media experience, anything from agency planning to being a TV producer and broadcasting, an entrepreneur and a hip hop music writer. These days, she's actually a group planning director for one of the biggest brands in the world. To get her full bio, please be sure to check out the show notes. For now, let's get into the episode. Let's get started where we always get started with each episode with the buzzword of authenticity. Again, I feel like we hear it all the time, but don't often stop to think about what the fuck does that mean? So when you hear the word, what does it mean to you? What comes to mind? The word authenticity and the mantra of like, we want your authentic self, bring your authentic self to the, you know, to work. It's nice to say it's a nice intention, it's a positive intention, but I think it requires, I think, on the individual, a certain level of self-awareness to really understand, well, what version of myself do I want to bring? Because there are, we, we're very multidimensional, right? The way I behave with my friends, with my parents, with family, perhaps is different from how I behave in a work environment. There, there's an unfiltered self to Lexi and there's a filtered self to Lexi. And in some instances, I have to gauge and have that awareness of when do I bring the unfiltered versus the filtered. That sounds exhausting. Yeah, it is. Who who even taught you those rules? Those like unspoken rules around like... Yeah. Because well, <laughs> it sounds like very... yeah. I mean, it starts in the in the home, family. Like, you know, I grew up, you know, in a single family household. My mom, you know, single mom, uh, growing up in the Bronx. And every time, you know, we would leave the house, you behave this way. We're going to so-and-so's house. You don't, you know, you don't behave this way. You don't, you don't, you don't make, you don't embarrass me. We're already, you know, kind of conditioned to like, okay, the minute you leave the house, it's someone else interesting yeah. and do you think it depended on where you were going like let's say you're running an errand to the bank versus family's mm -hmm. house like how you dress how you show up everything you think it was different yeah, yeah i think so because 
I'll tell you like even like uh, going to like shopping, right? Okay, you don't run around the stores. You, you know, don't act reckless. You know, even though you can't act reckless at home, you can't act reckless here in the store. You know, I got to be able to watch you as a parent, right? Don't put your hands in your pockets because they're going to think, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're taking something or something. Just be the most well-behaved version of yourself that you can be when we're out in public because you're representing me, you're representing the family. So don't make me look bad, you know? So that, that, that starts, you know, at a, at a young age. And then you take that into school, you take that into workplaces and it continues to evolve. And then, you know, as an adult, then you start putting your own kind of filters. That's fascinating. I I think the most interesting part of that is like, yo, bring your most well-behaved self outside, but not for you. Don't embarrass me in these streets. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. So how, talk to me about like some of those early years when even like you started going to school and you didn't have that oversight with you, but you still Mm -hmm. probably had in the back of your head, like I need to act a certain way. Like who who was Lexi in some of those early years in school? Unenlightened. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge that I have now. I don't have the understanding that I have now, the self-awareness that I have now. So it was very much do good work, keep your head down, don't rock the boat, don't cause a ruckus, be as invisible as possible, really. Be as invisible as possible and the work will show for itself. That's really what I did for the early, a a good part of my early career and even school, Um, just keep my head down. Do you think that hurt you when you started working? Yes, I think because well, maybe in college is when I noticed. I went to an all-white, very rich, liberal school, and I noticed that a lot of my other, you know, schoolmates they were acting out. They were acting a fool. What you do you know? mean acting acting out, like, acting a fool? Like, like in class? Like in class, partying, like just doing all these things that you know they could do because you know they, I guess, didn't have that filter, didn't have that. You have to behave well outside of the house you know it was sort of the drinking the the partying the you know literally just being a spoiled brat like there, there was a lot of that yeah no seriously i tell you one time and there was this girl crying outside of my dorm room and she was hysterically crying and i was just like oh my gosh this girl must be in so much distress like what is going on so i open up my door and i ask her hey are you okay and she's like oh my gosh like she's like hysterically crying She's like, I'm just on the phone with my dad. I'm fine. So I just leave my door cracked open a little bit and I'm eavesdropping, you know, just to make sure that in case she needs anything. You know what this girl was crying about? She She got cut off? No, she was crying about the fact that her dad bought her a red, a black Range Rover when she specifically asked for a white one. And hysterically crying, like as if like someone died. Like, and I'm just like, Wait, what? Girl, I don't even have a car. <laughs> yeah. I have a, a hoopty, whatever. Like, give me something. You know, and you're over here crying because your dad got you a black one and you specifically wanted a white one. And at that moment, I was like, I could never do something like that. I could never. I was, I couldn't act up. I couldn't behave that way. I couldn't act out like that. I couldn't be, 
you know, that level of spoil, you know what I mean? And so it occurred to me at that point that I was like, oh, okay, there's certain things that I, that I can't do that I, that I'm not conditioned or programmed to do outside of the home, but yet other people who don't look like me can do whatever they want. Is that also, is college one of those first experiences where you also started realizing like how much wealth was out there? Yes, it was insane. I mean, coming from the Bronx, having gone to high school in, you know, the Upper West Side, LaGuardia Performing Arts, I, I got a little bit of look into what, you know, wealth and class, but it, it didn't become apparent to me, like in my face until college. There was money all around, like even just like the lifestyle, you know, of like uh, coming to campus with a brand new car, you know, mm. like and me literally not being able to afford a car. And when I go grocery shopping, I'm literally pushing a shopping cart from from the supermarket to campus. Yeah. Straight up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Straight up. Like wow. kids are running around in like their Range Rovers and their Lexus and their Bimas. And here I am pushing my little shopping cart oh, my. To, my, to, my, to my dorm because I didn't have a car, you know? So, yeah. yeah. What sort of speaking of like emotional intelligence and and just being self aware, like what sort of emotions came up happened? I'm sure like insecurities and oh and my gosh, so just like self doubt, self worth, like all of so those kind much, of things. So much of that because you know it was a predominantly you know upper middle class white school, and right. there were other you know students of color, Latinos, you know black kids, and there were. You know, there was a group of us and we all, you know, we stuck together. We even had a little a little um, area in the cafeteria called Little Africa. Um, <laughs> straight up. And uh, and uh, we would, you know, we, that's how, that was our way of building community. But in terms of, you know, what emotions I was, you know, starting to have, I mean, definitely insecurity, insecurity in the fact that I don't look like the majority of these people here. I don't have, I don't come from the background that they do. I don't even speak the language. There's a certain barrier in terms of language, uh, culture, understanding, mm-hmm. you know. It was my first time ever learning about Bon Jovi. My first time <laughs> learning about, like, uh, what's that other, um, uh, what's that song? Um, Sweet Caroline or something? Sweet Caroline. <laughs> like, who the hell is Caroline? First time I ever heard that song was at a bar, and I was like, everyone's losing their minds. There was a real cultural, like, like this division or segregation. Like, I just did not understand this world. So I felt lost a lot of times. I felt very insecure because I didn't under, you know, I didn't, I don't know American, American culture like that. You know, even though I grew up in the United States, I'm in, you know, Latino household. We're mm-hmm. listening to, you know, Mark Anthony. Like, we're listening to, like, La India, you know? Like, that's that's what I know, not Bon Jovi. Um, so insecurity, uh, self-doubt. I will admit, even anger. Even anger. There was really? a moment. Yeah, there was a moment where my, I think it was my sophomore year where I took a class. And it was a really interesting class where it was, like, um, it was called Making Connections. And every week, twice a week, and every week they would tackle a different ism, ableism, sexism, racism. And the class was huge. 
and on the first day of the class, they would, you know, they would talk about like the history and kind of give you all that context. And then the second time you would take the class during that week, if you identified as a person in the marginalized group, you sat in this side of the room. If you identified as the person in the dominant side of the of the group, of the of the of the group that you sat on the other side of the room. And the whole intention was to build empathy. And so the people who identify as a marginalized group would share their stories of moments when they in real life had experienced whatever that ableism, that that ism was, whether it was sexism, racism, you know, hetero, you know, all of that. So it was um there was a moment in that class where I had that realization, like, holy crap, I've been experiencing sexism, racism, you know, so many things, ageism, like, and it all started coming up for me. And I had a moment where it was like uh, uh, an angry moment, <laughs> but it was cathartic. That, for the first time ever, you probably like, I'm telling yeah, someone. Exactly. And I'm telling Tell a person of the dominant group. Tell me about one of those experiences that, that come to mind that you, that, that you shared. Not being able to shop the way I wanted to shop, you know, just not even thinking about like, don't put your hands in your pocket, you know, uh, don't touch things because if you touch it, you know, people are watching you or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um, just you know, being questioned for your, your natural gifts, you know, oh, you speak so well. Oh, wow, you're so eloquent. Oh, wow, where did you learn that? Wow, you're so, you know, you're so impressive. Where did you grow up? In the Bronx? Wow, you're like a unicorn. It's just like, what? No. You, you know what's funny? I used to get, I used to get excited when people called me articulate. Mm. Like, I used to take it as a compliment. Speaking of self-aware and just like aware of the situation, I, I started picking up on people's tone mm. when they said it. But early on, I was like, yo, they, I've been working on this. I appreciate you. Thank you. Because I know a lot of people that aren't articulate or they can't get a sentence across, right? So I, it's almost like I was comparing myself to people and I was like, oh, I'm better than them now, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I picked up on that tone of like surprise. I was like, oh, you didn't expect me to be able to communicate effectively. Right. Where I realized like, oh, this is what people are talking about. But it took me a while to get that. I hear that. It was like a form of validation. Yes, of exactly. Get, yeah. Of getting praise from, you know, folks from the dominant group. And I keep saying dominant group. I don't know why I keep saying that. But I was about to call you out. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying that. It's, it's the conditioning. It's the conditioning. <laughs> Interesting. No, but 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 it's true. It's kind of like that validation from people in power. We're often white people. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like situations that you're going through in college and you got to be thinking about the road ahead as far as like career. Right. And some people when they're in college, I think there's kind of like two ways to it. People go to college and study what they want, what they're passionate about, what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. And then some people go to college to study whatever is going to get them a job that is going to make them money. Right. So like as you were thinking about your career, like how were you thinking about it? I went into college thinking I was going to be pre-med when I took that first really? I went, I took that first biology class and I was like, yeah, this ain't happening. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, cute, cute thought, but no. Um, Why did you want to do pre-med? Cause it was the safest thing, you know, in terms of, you know, being a doctor, you know, it's like, okay, well that's gonna, 
make my mom proud. That's going to make my family proud. And it's, you know, there's always a need for a doctor. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I realized my shortcomings in understanding, you know, the biology class and all the other requirements. And I was just like, I don't I don't have this. This is too sterile for me. I need something a little bit more human. And uh, and I leaned on psychology and uh, communications. Interesting. Yeah. So double major. And uh, it was uh, I loved it. And I was just like, I don't know where this is going to take me. I don't know if this is going to, you know, take me into, you know, being a psychotherapist or a psychologist or a child psychologist or something. But I do like the combination of studying, you know, humanity and human behavior, but then also with communications. And then it wasn't up until very later on, maybe like seven or eight years later, that I realized like, holy crap, these two things can come together in what I'm doing today. You know, before we get into like what you even do, like the, the the more recent years, like today, talking talk to me about some of those early experiences in corporate, whether it be full time intern. How did you even show up? Like, because oh. today, I see I see you with the natural hair, I see you with the hoops, I see you with the with the chains. You got a sweatshirt. Like, how did you show up to your early days, though? When I tell you, <laughs> oh, it's like night and day. Um, <laughs> Pinned straight hair. Pinned. Pinned. I like. Like straight, straight. Blazer, button down shirt, either slacks or a pencil skirt. No swag whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very like, okay, I need to be as, you know, plain vanilla as possible and not call attention to myself. Even colors, black, blue. Keep it very subdued, just fly under the radar. Anything that signaled fly under the radar and that, you know, you, you're you're one of them, you're good, right? So that's that's very much what I did, just try to be one of them. And even then, I still wasn't one of them because when I would speak, my accent, I got a New York accent back then. My accent was even stronger in Bronx. Bronx girl, there's this accent and then there's this attitude or I don't know what it is, but like, you know, it comes out. And I was self-conscious about that. When I tell you I was so self-conscious about the Bronx accent and not being able to speak like my other colleagues. In other words, I use that to rationalize like why I need to like not speak up. Now, are these stories that you're telling yourself Mm -hmm. or interesting? So, so in you just like being yourself at work speaking with your tone etc how were you received though like did anyone tell you anything that made you start telling yourself those stories i would notice it wasn't that some people would tell me things it was more so their body and facial expressions so oftentimes what i saw was a confused look like this confused look and i was like oh maybe i'm not using the right words maybe Maybe I'm not sounding smart enough. Maybe, maybe, you know, so all, so by, by me talking and then I'm seeing their confused look, I'm like, oh crap, I'm not getting through. Something is, is blocking it. And then of course that created all these stories in my head of like, it's my accent is, you know, I don't, I don't have the right vocabulary. I'm not as articulate as, as, as I should be. So it was just that, off of that, that confused look that I received mm-hmm. from the person I'm talking to that it just created all of these, you know, thoughts and insecurities. 
And then that would just make me smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. Did you talk to anybody about some of those experiences? Because I think the reason I'm asking that is because I think when we often go through these experiences, we look around and we're like, yo, am I bugging or did anyone else see that look? And we're often the only person of color or certain identity in a room. So we don't have a person to tell like, no, you saw that look, right? Like, I'm not crazy. But the minute you get that confirmation that you're not crazy, you're like, oh, it's not me. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's something else happening. But we often, this is why I launched this podcast, we often don't talk about these stories. So we feel like we're alone. When we feel like we're alone, we feel like we're the problem. You know what I mean? So I'm just curious. Like, did you tell anybody? No. No, mm-hmm. I didn't have, I didn't talk to anyone about it. I kind of just, like, took it as, like, all right, this is just the way it is. You exactly. know? This mm-hmm. is just the way it is. And then, and the crazy thing is, is that even when I would see maybe that other, you know, woman of color, you know, whether she was Latina or black or, or man or woman, they still followed their archetype. What do you mean? You know, the, the, the corporate archetype. Like they would still, uh... you know, they were, they were one of them. <laughs> they were yeah, one yeah, of yeah. them. So I'm yeah. like, well, I can't, I can't. I could talk to this person, to this, you know, other more senior, you know, woman of color. And I did a, a lot of times I would, you know, we would go out to lunch and we would talk. And the response that I would get was, um, you know, this is just the game. You got to learn how to play the game. In other words, con- conform. Yeah. Play the game. And while I understood that, there was also a part of me that was like, but I don't want to play the silly game like I don't want to conform I don't want to there was this constant tension in me of like I don't why do I have to conform why do I have to you know play by their rules why can't I play by my own rules you know what's crazy is like before they even said that as far as like giving you that advice and guidance you were already getting those signals right because you looked around and you were like oh they're they're acting like that that means that I have to act like that in order to be successful because they've, although they look like me, they've been here for a bunch of years. They're VPs, et cetera. If mm-hmm. I want to do that, I need to be like that. Like you were already getting that before they told you. hundred percent. You want to get to my level, you need to conform and act accordingly, behave accordingly, speak accordingly. This mind game, I don't, it's, I can't even explain it, but yeah. I will say that over, over, over time, I think it was maybe 2014, which is not that long ago, if you think about it. Nah, nah. 20, yeah, 2013, 2014, when then I started, I had this moment of like, no, 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 I am not conforming. No, no, I'm done playing by these rules. I'm gonna play by my own rules. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Me playing by their rules and conforming is too emotionally taxing. My grandfather would tell me when he was alive, he would say, you were put on this earth for a reason. Mm. You gotta find what that reason is. Mm. And, and I felt that I was, as I was get growing, going up the corporate ladder, I was losing myself. So I'm like, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get back on track and be myself mm-hmm. in the best way that I can be because there's value yeah. in that. There's value in me being myself. And it took a long time for me to realize that. There's this like moment for people that you're describing. And for some people, like I had a mother the other day and she was saying that she didn't notice she was losing herself until her son called her out. Yeah. 
And she was like, her son pretty much could tell who she was meeting with based on how she was dressed. She was like, oh, you're meeting with finance people today, right? Oh, okay, cool. You're meeting with like artsy people today. Oh, okay, cool. And the son was like, mom, should I change? Mm. And that was the moment for her. She was like, no, 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 you're perfect. She was like, well, like, why are you changing every day? Why are you putting on a different sort of like, even like when she picked up phone calls, how she spoke, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, sometimes it's either like we get a certain title, someone calls us out, or we see somebody that emulates who we want to be mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily faking it at work. Like, what was it for you, that moment you're describing? So that moment came when I was fired from uh, an agency uh, in New York. It was a very, I, I won't, I'll spare you the details, but needless to say, <laughs> it was a very traumatic experience. So so much so that I... <laughs> I get a little PTSD when I'm around British white men. After being fired, I took some time off. You know, I started taking stock of like, okay, well, what what happened? Kind of like a postmortem. I realized in that postmortem was a lot of, when I think about the work that I did in that agency, it was very much tapping into culture, hip hop and the culture that we come from. And That's I realized- what they wanted you to do? Well, that's what a lot of like the folk, a lot of like our campaigns, our creative output was like culture driven, right? Got it. Got it. And and I was just like, wait a minute. I come from that culture. I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up with loving hip hop and being so, and really ingrained in that going to house parties, whether it was with my black friends, my Puerto Rican friends, my Dominican friends, like we're all like vibing. I come from that world and yet I'm in an agency where the majority of the people are mostly white and they want they want in, they want to tap into that culture, right? So I'm like, wait a minute, hold up. I bring value. They want what I what I got. <laughs> they want what I got. They want where I come from. Right. And it was that moment where I was like, I shouldn't be ashamed of my Bronx accent. I shouldn't be ashamed of you know, the background that I come from, you know, and and the lifestyle that I came from. Like, no, these are all things that bring value to the table, that bring value to these conversations, that bring value to the creative process, you know, that bring value to ultimately the output that helps these agencies win awards and get more clients. It was at that moment where I was just like, no, no, no. No, I got this whole thing twisted. I'm, I'm here thinking that I need to come in and be a part of their world and, you know, kind of morph myself into what they want when I just need to be me and that's it. And that's, and there's power in that and there's value in that. We're done. We're done playing the games, being an actor. I'm done. And from that moment on, I literally went from like straightening my hair to like, okay, now we're going on the curly hair journey. Like it was a journey, like curly hair journey, natural hair, bringing out, I'm bringing out my Lexi, my Lexi nameplate. I'm bringing out my my Mickey Mouse hoop earrings, like bringing out the gold because I love gold. You know, that's just, that's, that's how I grew up. That's, you know, I'm listening to my music. I'm, I'm just bringing myself back to where, Mm -hmm. where I came from. And, um, and and I can't I can't deny that. So why even try? You know. What was the first thing that you started bringing out? Because you named a lot of things. Yeah. Did you do it all at once, or did you do one at a time? No, it was a little over, uh, at a time. Colors was was one thing. Wearing was that the, was that the first thing that you were just like thing. I'm gonna yeah okay yeah 
wearing bright colors, things that I, you know, would wear when I would go back home, you know, to the Bronx and go hang hang out with my little brother and, you know, like just streetwear, really. What I'm imagining is like you getting prepared for work, getting dressed and you're like, what are they going to say? Yes. Are are they going to say anything? Is anyone going to notice? Like, tell me about those emotions and then tell me about how you were received. Yeah. So... (laughs) By the time I got fired, I took the time off, did the yeah. reflecting, started a new job. Uh, yeah. And that's when I was like, no, no, no. So I'm starting fresh here. I'm starting clean. Yeah. Let me reintroduce myself. Allow me to reintroduce myself. Yeah, that's what I'm, my name is So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, this is my moment to reintroduce myself. So first day i'm come you know i'm wearing my jeans a hoodie my kicks my uptowns my normal outfits and like on the train ride i was like oh my gosh like what if i'm not taken seriously what if i'm just seen as like this little you know i i, I look young for my age you know i'm, I'm about to be 40 you know would have never guessed never guessed right so I already look young for my age and then me dressing this way, is it going to make me look even more younger, you know, and, and be taken less seriously. Mind you, I have a very senior title, head of social and content, right? And I'm building out a team and I'm just worried that, am I going to be taken seriously? Am I going to be respected? And when I walked in, the first thing I saw was everyone was dressed casually. So it didn't really matter. So I was like, perfect. So th- it was it was a great way of easing myself into being my authentic self in a space that allowed for that, if I'm being honest. It allowed for that dressing kind of perspective and an appearance perspective. Don't get it twisted. There were a lot of um, codes and signals, a more like a culture that you had to kind of you know, morph yourself into. So while it wasn't from an appearance standpoint, it was very much, you know, there were other ways that they wanted people to kind of, you know, be be part of their culture. And I'm so glad you brought that up because authenticity has so much more to do than than how you dress. And I think it's fascinating, like you described yourself early on with a powerful word that's often taken negatively. You said the word attitude. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is that a word that comes up when you sort of like reflect back on some of those years and how you were perceived outside of appearance? Yeah, it still is today. Literally, we were talking performance reviews. The word attitude didn't come up, but the words bold and unapologetic came up, which I see as positive. But, but depending on who you're talking to, it may be a little less positive. But, you know, there were there were words like um, I remember one performance review where I got told, oh, you're very curt. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I, don't even know what that means. I didn't know what that means. And then I was like, curt? What the hell is curt? So like short, <laughs> very short, very just to uh, the point, very direct. Okay. And I'm like, interesting. So I've seen other people be very direct and to the point. I wonder if they're getting told that they're curt and that they need to dial that back and the way i see it though and the way you know in that performance review i was just like am i being curt or am i just being efficient with my time (laughs) you know because i'm all about like let's get to the point let's cut let's cut to the chase let's do what we got like i thought they would appreciate that yes exactly i'm saving you time we're not (laughs) we're not we're not doing the swirl we're just getting right in you know yeah 
well, you know, can you, can your emails, in your emails, it's not about, and, and there's some truth to this. It's not about what you say, it's how you say it. Like, okay, that's fair. Okay, I get that. Um, maybe you might want to include a, a wink and a smile in your emails. <laughs> that's what people told you that? Yeah. <laughs> a wink and a smile, just to like dial things down a little bit. You know, and I and, and and I think there was there was another you know layer to that because the the folks that I was communicating with were from the south, mm. and being from New York, you know, I'm like, this is this is New Yorker, like this is what we do, we just to the point, let's just go, let's just get to it. But there was a cultural difference in terms of communication of like the way they would craft their emails and the way they would speak. It was very very like padding, you know, like. Oh, how's your day? How's the family? How's da da da? You know all this like stuff, and then somewhere in the middle was a question that they wanted to ask you, and then towards the end they kind of sandwiched it back with like, "Well, have a great week," you know, like you know that kind of that form of communication. Whereas my form of communication was very much like, "Hey, I need X, Y, and Z. Well, when can we hop on a call to discuss X, Y, and Z?" Right? Right. Right. And and I guess that what you know that 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 was not the appreciated form of communication. I guess it's this interesting dynamic of like this crossroads almost of like you finally building up the courage and the confidence to be yourself, and even these days, right? Like titles galore, amazing, whatever, paid. Yet you're still in this like, when can I really be myself? Yes. yes. Yes, 100%. And you know what? The thing is, you know, with, with this whole idea of, like, bring your authentic self to work. I don't think these work environments can handle our authentic self. They're not set up for that. Because when you think about your authentic self, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And I don't... These, these mantras, these environments, these workplaces, corporations, they just want the good. They don't want the bad and the ugly. So then, in other words, how am I really even am I am I even being myself? No, I'm still being a part of myself. I'm bringing you the good, but I'm not bringing you the bad and the ugly because this environment isn't safe to showcase my bad and my ugly. It's not set up for that. So I'm still I'm still not re not really being my authentic self. Does it get harder the 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 higher you get up that ladder, the corporate yes, ladder? Hundred percent. You know, I think that. Well, it gets harder in the sense that there is more pressure to conform. Um, I thought it was the opposite. I thought it was the opposite too, and and I think there there are moments where it can be that that you can flex a little bit more of your authentic self, in the sense of like, like I don't let my directness. Or me being bold and unapologetic. I don't let that phase me. That's that's just going to be it. I'm not going to dial that back. I'm not going to, you know, sidestep that to make others feel comfortable. But I do still see, and granted, I'm still, I'm not like VP or SVP. You know, I'm not, I'm not there yet. If And that's a whole other conversation if I even want to get there. There's like an archetype. You see, you see visually reflect yeah. back at you. People yeah. who are VPs and SVPs, even if they are people of color, you know, women, men, black men, you know, black women, you know, you know, 
Latina, you know, and Latinos, you, you still see it. I think a lot of it has to do with there's class, there's age, generational divide. You know, I think that that's something that, you know, doesn't get talked about enough in the workplace, in corporate environments, that yeah. there is a philosophical difference in boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. You know, I identify, I'm a millennial and I'm reporting into a lot of boomers. And some of these boomers that I see are, you know, people of color, mm-hmm. but they behave Mm-hmm. And re- and visually represent themselves in a way that conforms to you know to the to 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 what's needed to be in the role and to be in this work culture and this corporate environment. Hundred percent. Like a lot of times when I'm described as bold, when I do quote unquote bold things, the younger generation, let's call it, applauds me, mm-hmm. whereas like the boomers are the ones telling me that I'm too bold, too much. Yep. I shouldn't have done that. I should have handle things internally, right? Like to your point, there's a different philosophical mindset depending even from like age. It doesn't matter what you look like because they, like if we've been trained to believe a certain thing about professionalism, they're the ones teaching us. (laughs) Yeah. They're the ones teaching us those things. Yeah. hundred percent. Look, I'll tell you, I won't get, give specifics, but Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with someone, a manager in the moment in my career and they asked me the question, what do you want your journey to be at this at this company? And I said, you know, it'd be nice one day to become vice president. That would be really nice. You know, it's not like, it's not going to define who I am or anything. It's not like, oh my gosh, this is like the ultimate goal, but it would be nice. And their response was, and it was a woman, oh, that's interesting. You know, it took me nine years to become VP. And uh, I just want to make sure that I'm managing your expectations, you know, that, uh, you know, it could take you 10 years, 15 years, uh, but it took me nine. So when she told me that, what I gathered from that conversation was, one, because it took her nine years to become VP, I need to go through the ringer as well. Because I suffered, you got to suffer too. And the way I see it, I'm like, well, if you're in this position and you know that there's an opportunity to not follow the same formula, not do things the way they've always been done, wouldn't you want your legacy to be, hey, I removed barriers and I got people promoted faster versus being a blocker? It doesn't have to be nine years again. Yeah. No, it doesn't. As we as we wrap up, what's and obviously like we're still working on it, as you admitted, like there are times where you know you don't feel comfortable being yourself me too i'm still working on a bunch of things but as you look forward what's the one thing that continues to inspire you and empower you to continue working towards being your most authentic self my little brother he's in high school he's a you know uh, a sophomore my goal and what i aspire for him to take away from seeing me in my journey is that you don't have to subscribe to, to, to just one way of being or behaving that, that there, there is no like, there's no like blueprint. You could, you could shape it however you want. You could design it however you want. You don't even have to work, you know, a nine to five, you know, you can, it doesn't have to be corporate. I mean, I did the whole indie consulting freelance thing for a while. You know, there, there are many ways of designing this thing. I want him to see me comfortable in my own skin so that it gives him permission to be comfortable in his own skin. 
and be okay with that and be proud of where he came from and, and where he's going. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintueras podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do us a favor, like, share, comment, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening because it's going to help ensure that these experiences and stories get heard by more people. That's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. By scaling this, scaling this representation is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. See you next week.